do some things for the kids. We're going to do an Easter egg hunt. We'll have some little games and things planned as well. Uh, the children will be in service during that uh, Sunday, but uh, after service, we'll have a lot of activities for them as well. So, and I'll just mention as well with the activities, we're going to be using this front uh, area right here. And we'll have orange barriers put up by the road. So if you generally park up there, you might just have to park in the back uh, this next Sunday. And then we'll take the orange stuff down so you can, again, park in the front the following Sunday. But just for next Sunday, so don't be surprised when you get here and there's orange barriers up. So um, if anybody needs to pull in and then get out, we'll be happy to park your car for you as well if you don't feel like you can make it. I know it's kind of a long walk from back there sometimes. So, yeah. It can be. It's a mission, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an adventure up the, up the ramp. Uh, uh, well, thank you for coming to worship with us today at Lighthouse. Uh, if I'm talking too fast, just tell me to slow down. Uh, so today is Palm Sunday. Like Kristen said, we've kind of uh, skipped over the missions Sunday part. We normally do a missions presentation, but uh, we're kind of going with uh, Palm Sunday today. Obviously, it's a little more uh, pressing, but not really, because Jesus was definitely one of the very first missionaries. So, uh, you know, it's just celebrating him is celebrating missions at the same time. So it's like a two for one. Um, we're looking at Palm Sunday and we're looking at the scriptures. It's actually one of the ones that goes through all the Gospels, being that it's so important. Um, and it's called, interestingly enough, it's called the Triumphal Entry, uh, which is really quite interesting, I think, because um, it's more of a picture of Jesus coming in peace than it was Jesus coming as this big victory, triumph type of person. You know, they're looking at it here as... Um, you know, the word triumph really means having won a battle, um, you know, or being victorious. And it's also a celebration of great victory or achievement. And really, Jesus hadn't really done, you know, what he came to do yet. It's just that they were so wrapped up in uh, Roman culture and thinking they knew what Jesus was going to do that they actually called it this triumphant entry. You know, and I know the kind of the terms or they... Uh, the, uh, what do you call them, these terms were added later on, but even still then when they added them, they were still maybe didn't have the full picture of what Jesus did. Really when Jesus came in, he's actually trying to right here establish himself as the Prince of Peace, you know, and we've got this picture here. I asked Christian to put the, the donkey in because the donkey actually is really very important uh, part of what Jesus did when he rose in, uh, when he rode in on Palm Sunday. When Jesus chose to rode in on the donkey, he was showing people actually that he was coming in peace. Uh, and if we go to Isaiah, which is really the really good book of prophecy about who Jesus was going to be and what it was going to look like, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child was born, Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Here's that term, Prince of Peace, and we hear it, you know, quite often. And so I kind of just wanted to break that down a little bit. Prince of Peace, what does it mean? So I just went and kind of 
went through the definitions, as I do often, um, but a prince is a man or a thing regarded as preeminent in a particular sphere or group. Um, and then this word preeminent means surpassing all others. Uh, and then you have the word peace, which is peace, the very direct definition is freedom from disturbance. And then disturbance is the interruption of a settled condition. So if you put all those things together, what does it mean to be the Prince of Peace? Well, the Prince of Peace is a man regarded as surpassing all others in his ability to free us from an unsettled condition, which sounds like a mouthful, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so this shows really, uh, you know, very obviously in Jesus' ability to uh, um, fix the unsettled condition of our soul, right? So when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes it upon himself to correct the problem we have with our soul. Uh, you might want to check on that. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> That's uh, Jackie preparing our lunch for a missions lunch. Um, yeah, are you? <laughs> yeah, no stopping. Um, so Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he, you know, settles that, uh, our, the unsettled condition of our soul being disconnected from God, right? And so when Jesus goes uh, to the cross, he puts that peace into action and puts peace back in our soul, which connects us back to God uh, through the cross. Uh, if we look again in Isaiah, though, Isaiah chapter 53, back to the... Uh, prophecy of who Jesus is and what he's going to do. Isaiah 53 uh, verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. So again, there's this word peace and chastisement, meaning uh, the sharp disapproval is another, you know, word that you can use for chastisement. So the sharp disapproval of our peace was put, across, uh, put upon Jesus. And really the crown of thorns that we look at was a real representation of this. You know, if you talk to people that suffer from depression or anxiety or really struggle with, you know, uh, negative things in the mind, I'm sure that they could describe that as, you know, thorns or needles piercing in, you know, and that's really what um, the picture of this uh, crown of thorns was. And so this is where also you see the attack of the devil in the mind so often. You know, the devil's always constantly coming against us in our thoughts because he really has no other way to get to us. He's trying to get to us in our thoughts and then have us connect up with that and, you know, try and get that to play out in our lives. And so when it says Jesus is coming as the Prince of Peace, you know, he's coming to try and correct that unsettled condition. Um, and so they were, uh, when he was riding on this donkey, he was trying to show them this. But really, the Jewish people were actually looking for something else. You know, if we go back to, um, I chose Luke as my, like I said, there was were in all the Gospels, but I'm really uh, reading it out of Luke, and it's in Luke 9, uh, chapter 19, if you want to try and follow along with some of these verses. But if you look at uh, chapter 19, verse 38, you can see here as they're praising him, as he's riding in on this donkey, it said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And so they're even right here calling him a king that's coming in the name of the Lord. They're not calling him the Lord right here at this point in time. And you can kind of see that also when Jesus talks to them and he's asking them, who do you say I am? 
You know, it was only Peter that actually said, you're the Messiah. You know, and so the Jewish people here are looking for a king. They're looking for a king riding in, you know, actually on a horse, not a donkey. You know, Jesus, uh, the Jewish people wanted Jesus to be the king that was going to redeem them from this, you know, this Roman occupation. They were so distracted with what was happening in their own lives and what was happening really with earthly things that they almost missed Jesus altogether. A lot of them really did. Um, something that actually Graham Castle talked about uh, during the prayer conference uh, that we did in January was he made this statement. He said, God is more concerned about the condition of your heart towards him than anything else. And this is what, you know, the Jewish people were missing in these days. And this is why, you know, Jesus rode in on this donkey. You know, they were really excited because they were thinking, you know, he was going to be this great conquering king. But uh, the donkey really isn't a king's animal. You know, the Romans would have ridden in on a horse, you know, a white stallion or, you know, a black, you know, black stallion or something like this. Not a donkey. You know, the donkey actually symbolizes uh, servant's work. You know, and a workhorse, not, you know, not this powerful, you know, steed, you know, that's going to, you guys have probably haven't seen Shrek, but, you know, that, uh, this powerful <laughs> animal, you know, it was the donkey was just a common animal. It was nothing special, you know, and so it's really a picture of him coming in, riding the donkey. Jesus is saying, I'm coming in peace, the prince of peace, and I'm also coming in as a servant, not a conquering king. Um, so, yeah, if we look at, uh, you know, it was more of that fulfilling the prophecy as well. But, you know, Jesus didn't just do things just because, you know, yeah, it was to fulfill the prophecy. Um, if we look at uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9, that's where the prophecy is. I have all these marked so I can turn to them really quickly. <laughs> um, Zechariah 9, uh, verse 9, it says, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so there's that word again, that word lowly, which means humble or having a low um, status or importance of yourself. And so again, riding the donkey is that picture of not coming in as a conquering king, but coming in as the prince of peace and as a servant, riding a servant's animal. Um, if we go back to Luke again, we look at the Pharisees here, talking about um, not realizing what Jesus is doing, not realizing what's happening, being more caught up you know, in the worldly things, being more caught up looking at um, wanting a king, wanting a conqueror. You know, the Pharisees here are saying, uh, verse 39, it says, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You know, because the Pharisees, excuse me, the Pharisees are, um, really this is the definition of a religious spirit. If you look at what the Pharisees are doing during these days and you really study their actions, study their, um, uh, their, outcome and their response really to what Jesus is doing you can really see a religious spirit and that's because that's who the Pharisees have made themselves out to be the Pharisees were like absolutely the top notch you know religious people of the days they uh, there was this guy Josephus that was back there in those days and he was a historian and he actually called them um, the Pharisees are just a group of Jews that are more religious than any other 
You know, that was his definition of the Pharisees. And they even, you know, tried to set themselves apart by wearing special clothing. I mean, they were the ones that had it down. They knew all the laws. They did all the studying. They, they spent all the time reading and, and just doing everything they could do to be the best at the best of being Jews. You know, and um, they were so good at it that they almost missed the Messiah altogether. You know, their whole goal, their whole plan, their whole purpose was preparing for the Messiah. But then when he shows up, they almost completely miss it altogether. You know, in uh, verse 41 through 44, it talks about um, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And 44 ends with saying, you did not know the time of your visitation, right? Because they're totally missing it. And so often we can think that we know what God is doing. So often we can think that he's doing something. But so often we're totally missing it because we're focused on the wrong area, right? And so when Jesus uh, cleans out the temple in verse 45, this is another blow to them because they're, you know, trying to perfect the art of being religious. That was the goal of the Pharisees, was just to completely perfect the art of being religious. And uh, what they did in the temple, you know, is they set up this place where you could buy um, your sacrificial animals. You didn't even have to raise your own animal anymore. And I was just looking into that in the Old Testament and thinking about all the different things that it means to come with an animal that has no blemish and how hard it must have been to raise an animal, you know, in that way. Because even think about it like the fences today with the barbed wire and things. You know, if the animal gets caught on the fence and its fur gets ripped, that was no control of your own, but now it's not worthy you know, to be a sacrificial animal. And so they had made the temple and made the religious actions almost like a one-stop shop, I would call it, for just being able to go in, grab your animal, take it to the priest, and now, you know, you've done your sacrifices. You've completed, you know, the task. And so the Pharisees had really kind of started putting pride in themselves, saying, we know how this thing works, and we know what's going to happen. You know, and pride is this uh, satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. And that's really where the Pharisees were. You know, they had so much pride in themselves, they didn't recognize Jesus when he was there. But also at the same time, they almost had this spirit of not even needing Jesus. You know, they didn't even feel like they needed the Messiah anymore. And so um, they also wanted to be in control of who he was. You know, they didn't want some guy from Bethlehem that rides in on a, you know, a donkey. They want Jesus, the king, the Messiah, the ruling, reigning, you know, I'm going to take over kind of person. But they were so blinded by their religion that they almost missed the visitation altogether. So, and I've just really been thinking about that in our own lives and thinking about, well, what, is it, what does it look like? What does Palm Sunday really mean? What does it really, you know, go into when we talk about it now? You know, yeah, it's a big day, a big historical event. But uh, when Jesus walked in, you know, so many people, when Jesus rode in on that donkey, so many people missed what was happening. And I've just been thinking about that as, you know, it's a good time to really reflect and see maybe have we fallen into the same situation. Have we fallen into the same spot where we're so caught up with what we think God is going to do that we've missed our time or our connection with God or the Holy Spirit or with Jesus himself? And, you know, you want to sit there and think, oh, well, you know, that's kind of silly. You know, we're in church all the time. We pray, we read our Bible. How could we possibly miss what God is doing? 
But isn't that exactly what the Pharisees did? You know, and also, if you look at Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples did the same thing. Jesus rose from the dead, and then he comes and, you know, returns and to talk to them before he gets uh, raised back up to heaven. And they're also, again, asking these same questions. Oh, now you're going to be king. Now you're going to restore your kingdom. Now you're going to, you know, kick these Romans out. And Jesus says again, no, forget that. You know, now we need to share the gospel, you know. And so... The Pharisees missed it, who were supposed to be, you know, the top religious people. The disciples missed it, the ones that walked with Jesus, you know. So it's easy for us, I think, also to miss it. And we can also get in this place where we uh, can be complacent, I think, sometimes, and think we know exactly what God is doing, think we know exactly what's going on, and uh, we can miss our visitation. Uh, if we look in Chronicles, Second uh, Chronicles, Chapter 7, uh, this is really, uh, uh, everyone uses this scripture for revival, but it's, uh, you know, can be personal revival too, I guess. You know? uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And there's that word humble again, and we talked about it originally there with the donkey being a lowly animal. Or Jesus coming in, you know, lowly as a servant. If my people will humble themselves and pray. You know, humble, again, means uh, having or showing a lower, modest estimate of one's important, importance. And this is that picture of that lowly donkey that Jesus rode in on. You know, oftentimes I think... Uh, if we're not careful, we get in one side or the other. It's kind of like that road. You know, you got a ditch on either side, and Christians, for some reason, have a hard time walking in the middle. We always find ourselves in one ditch or the other. And so you've got uh, there's some Christians that are just so humble and so just, oh, you know, I'm just a sinner, and I just can't, you know, get out of doing anything. And, and you know, it just kind of makes you sick inside sometimes, you know. I put in my notes, it makes you want to barf. I don't, I don't know, but, you know, but, um, but, you know, you can have that side, but then you can have the other side, too, where, you know, you've got these Christians that are just, you know, so dead set on being conquering victors of all things that they can't even be told anything or even come to a place of being humble where God can use them or speak to them. You know, being humble is the exact opposite of being proud. You know, pride or being proud is this whole picture of, you know, uh, you know, so confident in your own abilities. And then humble is the opposite of that, just being so ready uh, to uh, have a low estimate of oneself, but not low self-esteem, but just a letting yourself rely in God's abilities or your own ability, and then, uh, rather than your own abilities. So I'm not saying we should be, oh, yeah, you know, I'm nothing. But at the same time, if you think too highly of yourself, can God really get in there and use you? Um, if the Pharisees, for instance, would have stopped and humbled themselves and really prayed and really sought God and really looked at the scriptures for what they said, would they have noticed who the Messiah was when he was walking around? Um, oftentimes we think we know exactly what God is doing. And that's how we can slip over into pride, is we just know, oh, well, God's going to do this. Well, God's going to do that. And we don't take time to be humble and pray. And if you look at the, really the whole ministry of Jesus, this is really what he did. He often did the unexpected. You know, people thought they knew what he was going to do, and he did something different. You know, when he was in the boat, 
and there was the big storm, you know, they woke him up and they said, Jesus, we're all going to die, you know, do something. And I'm not sure exactly what they expected him to do, maybe bring another ship, maybe walk on the water again. But what did he do? He stood up and he calmed the waves and they all lived. You know, when they were preaching on the Sermon of the Mound, you know, they're all saying, everyone's hungry, send them away. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to do the unexpected and I'm going to feed everybody, you know, from this boy's lunch. You know, and then again, when the girl, uh, scriptures we've preached on before, when the girl was sick and she died and Jesus, you know, took a long time to get there, they go to him and say, oh, you know, she's dead, forget about it. And he says, no, actually, she's just asleep and I'm going to do the unexpected and I'm going to go there and I'm going to raise her from the dead. You know, and then again with Jesus coming on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, you know, they're saying, oh, he's going to be our king. He's going to reign and conquer. He's going to get rid of these Romans. You know, actually, no, I'm going to come in on a donkey as the prince of peace, as a servant on a servant's animal, and I'm going to die on a cross. You know, almost the opposite to what they thought they were going to do. You know, God's going to continue to keep on surprising us and continue to keep on doing stuff in our lives like that if we're willing to be humble and if we're willing to get out of pride in our own abilities to accomplish things and actually let God do things and let God move unexpectedly in our lives. Um, I don't want to be the person that's on the receiving end of that prayer that Jesus prays in Luke, you know, where he says um, that you missed your visitation. I don't want to miss my visitation, you know, I don't want to miss my opportunity to see God do something unexpected in my life. Um, sometimes we look around and we say, well, only if God would just do something. If God would just do something, then, you know, things would change. And then later we often realize that God was doing something the whole time. That's just we missed it, you know. We were looking in the wrong direction. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that's looking in the wrong direction. You know, we need to stop focusing so much on our own plans and purposes and start putting God's plans and purposes for first. You know, that's the kind of thing that sparks revival in our own lives um, is just releasing control and being humble and letting God do it his way. You know, when we pray and we seek the will of God, he's going to show us. You know, he's not going to leave us high and dry. But if we humble ourselves and pray, Humble yourself and pray. That's what, you know, gets us to that point. When Jesus rode in on that donkey, he showed the world who he was. But because of religious tradition and a worldly focus, most people totally missed it. The only way to make sure we don't fall into that same trap um, is to be humble, get out of pride and keep in prayer and let God do the unexpected things in our life. Do we do a, have a song for communion, Emily? Yeah, I think we'll just go. Ahead, we'll go ahead and take communion now. Um, and I do want to say, if you're a guest or uh, visiting today, you're free and open to take communion with us. Uh, no pressure if you do or do not want to. Um, but one of the things it says about uh, communion in Corinthian, uh, Corinthians. It talks about um, this word the Corinthians used is uh, take time to examine yourself and come to communion with a clear conscience. Um, and I think um, 
it's a good time, especially on Palm Sunday, talking about this missing the opportunity or missing the visitation of God in our lives, to really just take that time to examine ourselves and see, you know, have we been proud? Have we, you know, put up some kind of wall of pride in our life where we're missing something that God is trying to show us? You know, it's so good that God, you know, he never holds anything against us. And there's so many scriptures we can stand on about God being faithful to forgive and faithful to answer and faithful to be there. You know, he's not a God that's in, you know, hiding from us or, you know, we're trying to search him out. No, we're just waiting for the invitation to be part of our lives. And so as we come to communion today, I really want to encourage you just to take time to examine yourself and see, have I been proud? Have I, you know, missed something that God's trying to show me? Um, you know, he's so faithful, so faithful to forgive us. So all we have to do is just give him that opportunity to do that. Um, I also say, too, if anybody uh, wants prayer for anything today, I'll be here at the front during communion just while they're singing. If you want to come up, me to pray with you. Um, you know, and I don't necessarily need to know your whole life story. If you feel uncomfortable sharing something, I'll be happy just to agree with you in prayer as well for whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, feel free to come and get communion. Uh, the ability just to come before you humbled and uh, just ask you to uh, reveal things to us, Lord, that need to be adjusted or changed in our lives and that you're so faithful to forgive us, so faithful to speak to us, so faithful to just uh, give us that opportunity to let you move. And we just thank you, Lord, that you did come as the Prince of Peace. You came as the, the Prince of Peace, the one man that could bring us back into a settled condition with God. The one man that could also, uh, has the ability to give us a settled mind. Yeah, we thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you, Lord, for doing what only you could do. for just a little bit I just want to minister to him and let him know how much we love him this morning he's poured out of his love on us I just don't want him to leave empty handed this morning he needs to know how much we love him so we just let it out this morning we let out our love this morning